Thank you, music team. It's just something nice, isn't it, about, uh, I mean, I love the bands and everything, but this is just great, just a piano and some singing. Not bad. I like it. Thanks, Mick. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be our teacher today. Father, this morning we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. Uh, Nourish our souls with it. May it come as uh, good news this morning. Uh, Lord, I would pray that not only would I be a spirit-filled speaker, but uh, would you allow the audience to be spirit-filled listeners and allow the Word of God to penetrate into the hearts and minds of everyone here, including myself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapter 5 of Matthew. We are reading verse 4. God blesses those who mourn. For they will be comforted. That's the seed. Now the flower in verse 27. You've heard, it, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Aren't you glad you showed up this morning? This is fantastic stuff. You know, when a a man, when humankind... You got it, pal. I love it. Right on. Okay. When a man wants to better the world, he changes conditions. I have... Almost gotten to the point of ad nauseum listening to our politicians talk about if we just change the conditions, if we just change the conditions, we'll change humankind. But when God wants to change a world, He changes character first. Conditions then change. The Garden of Eden was the greatest place in the world to live. The conditions couldn't have been better. Sin entered it. You have no guarantee that when conditions change, the world will get better. It just doesn't happen. The first story right out of the book in the Bible says it never is going to happen. Think we could pick that up? Think any of our candidates could pick it up? But the basic drift is this. Man thinks that change conditions without change character will do the trick. And God knows that change character will always change conditions first. Did you know that Wilbur, William Wilberforce was instrumental in two things, the abolition of slavery in England and also the child labor laws? Wilberforce became a committed evangelical Christian. You can read it online. It led to his decided change character, change the conditions, and he changed England forever. Bob Pierce was changed in his character and world vision started. Florence Nightingale was changed and the Red Cross was born. Roger Booth was changed in his character and the Salvation Army occurred. David Wilkerson was changed in his heart and the ministry of the cross and the switchblade took place. God changed their character and then the conditions changed. God starts on the inside and works to the outside. That's the difference between Christianity and religion. The Beatitudes are character attitudes that we should have. Hence, we call them attitudes that should be in you. When you see these attitudes, they are like the birthmarks of someone. 
I remember in Fresno, California, we had a family, and the woman had a birthmark right here on, right by her elbow. Every kid in her family had a birthmark right there. All five boys had birthmarks right on the right elbow. You knew whose kids those were. The Beatitudes are like birthmarks on us that tell us we're really God's kids. But I'm afraid that men, humankind, compromises character to improve conditions. We can hoodwink a little sin here and there. As long as the, you know, the ends will always justify the means. But Jesus never did that, did he? Jesus didn't come with a, a picket line with his disciple pairing placards saying abolish slavery, down with the king. You know, there's two ways you can kill a tree. You can chop it down or you can strip the bark. And that's how Jesus, forever in his teachings, reversed the slavery issue. He stripped the bark. A changed condition with unchanged character is never successful. Now, come on over here with me to review the poor in spirit. And we're going this way. Last week we talked about that Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. When we come to the conclusion that everything's coming from God and nothing's coming from me, and we understand our spiritual condition, that we're absolutely bankrupt before God. We talked about last week that there were two kinds of the, in the Greek for the word poor. One meant you were down, you were, you, but you had a little bit. You, you, you might be behind on your bills, but you, you, know, you had a little bit. That's not the word he's looking at here. He's looking at the word in Greek for destitute. Blessed is the person who comes to the realization that he is absolute destitute before God. And he must bow his knee. He must hand out his hand and say, God, you have everything. I am now realize that my condition is, is, is of no value to you. You didn't get a great deal when you got me. You got a lowly sinner. You have everything to give me. I have nothing to give you. And when a person comes to that, God says he's blessed. He's on his way to knowing all there is to know about life. But the second thing is, what happens when he comes to that point? It causes him to mourn. It says, it has, it, and this is the word in the Greek, it has, your heart is broken. There, it, the, the word literally means a deep, deep mourning. A deep kind of almost reverence of your heart being broken. It's when you lose someone, something so valuable to you. I remember standing at the casket of my mother. My heart was broken. Just busted up inside. You've been there too, haven't you? I have a friend in Denver. She stood at the coffin of her, her young son who had gone on a spring break. Car overturned, hit some black ice and flagstaff on the way to California. Car flipped, crushed him. She stood there. Crushed. That's what this word means, crushed. But what are you crushed about? Hmm. That's the secret. That's the issue. You see, when you realize you have nothing to offer God, you're absolutely bankrupt. He has everything to offer you. It breaks your heart. And you begin to mourn. You begin to have your heart broken over what breaks God's heart. That you have chosen to be away from Him this whole time. And you have said to him, I am so sorry for being on my own program. 
I'm so sorry for thinking that I was really something. I'm so sorry for thinking that, you know, you were my co-pilot and with your help I could live the life, you know. No, I am totally dependent on you and my heart is broken over the fact that I am absolutely bankrupt. What do you mean by that? What happens with that? Let me just give you a little review so you know what's coming. You see, when a person is is bankrupt over their sin, bankrupt over their spiritual condition, then it says, blessed are they that are meek. We'll talk about that next week. Under the control of God. They say that meekness does not mean weakness. It means that they want the control of God in their life. And when they want the control of their life, then they begin to hunger and thirst. And when they hunger and thirst, they really become people who are merciful for the first time now because they're judging based on God's Word, not on their decisions. And when they're merciful, they have all their agenda stripped away and they become pure in heart. And you know what the promise is for pure in heart? They shall what? See God. It's when we're doing God's work. When you actually see Jesus and when people see Jesus in you, that means your, your motives are okay. And what does that lead you to? Blessed are the ones that are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We'll talk about that. Peacemakers. For they shall be called what? The sons of God. It's when we're making the peace, we're most like Jesus. And we get to the end, right over here by this evergreen, the world hates that kind of person. Why do you think HBO puts a, a, a ludicrous, mind-babbling, dumb show like Bill Maher on? I'll tell you why. Because he's the epitome of a person who hates that person who has those seven characteristics. And if you're really, if you're, if you pick it up, if you ever watch the show, God bless you. Hope that you don't, you know, get too perverted in it. But if you've ever watched it, he's always attacking one of those seven attitudes. The world hates a person like that. And we're over here. We've come to the point where we do understand that we have bent our knee before God. We have fallen upon His mercy. And now He says, blessed are those who mourn, who have had their hearts broken with what breaks God's heart. What do you think breaks God's heart? When people, they don't tell them they don't love them anymore. When they want to go their own way. You ever had somebody break your heart like that? Fellas, can you think back? to when you were just knocked out over some little girl. You were hoping maybe that she might even be your wife. And then she told you to go take a hike. And your heart was broken. Somebody rejected you. They didn't like you the way you hoped they would. How do you think God feels every day when millions tell him, go take a hike? Breaks your heart, doesn't it? The word means great sorrow, sadness, deep agony over a crisis. And there's no holding in. Sometimes, you know, we always hear, well, you know, big girls don't cry. Men don't cry. That's not what this word means. It means that you lose it. There's deep lamenting. It's lamenting over our spiritual bankruptcy. Not just know it, but experiencing the sorrow. Worship sometimes is not always celebratory. We try to do it a lot here. I love celebratory music. I prefer celebratory music. But there are times when we come to church and we're a little bit hurt. We're down. We're lamenting. And it's okay. David would love to have just played on his harp all day long. He'd rather hear that than somebody like Nathan coming up and putting a finger in his face and saying, Thou art the man, David. You're the one who committed adultery. 
Mourning has to do, listen to this now, mourning has to do with our current moral standard in our life. We can mourn back here over the fact that we've broken God's heart, but we're continually causing ourselves to mourn over the, over the situation so that we will always, what? Want the control of God or the meekness of God in our life. We should mourn over our spiritual poverty. Why? Because sin is a dangerous thing. And I have three things for you today of why we ought to mourn. Number one, if you have your notes, you can take a look there. Number one is because of the penetrating power of sin. The penetrating power of sin. Jesus says, even the desire condemns you. He says, if, uh, we read in the flower today of the passage, it says, even a man who says that I never committed adultery, you ever wanted to? You're guilty. It's already in your heart. Let me tell you something. Sin can eat into your life if you don't mourn. Sometimes we take our sin too lightly. We don't really uh, get into it and we don't really talk about it. And we we just kind of say, well, it's just, you know, it's that way. Listen, uh, I believe that God wants His people to really mourn over the fact that when we're not walking with Him. Because if we don't mourn that sin, that sin can penetrate into our life. It can get deeper into our life than we want it to. You know, I'm not here to tell and be judge on anybody. I've sure got my stuff too. But I know this, that when I come to a real sorrowful attitude, not just a sorry that I did it, but a real godly sorrow that I actually injured God in this process. I've heard apologies from politicians. I've heard apologies from sports figures. I've heard apologies from pastors. I've heard apologies from people. And I'll tell you what, sometimes they're just apologizing and they're ashamed because they got caught. But when a person really begins to lament, when a person really begins to mourn that he has really injured even the heart of God, then that sin cannot penetrate into his life anymore. People ask me, why do we have repetitive sin all the time? Why do we keep doing the same thing? I keep giving the same confession. Oh, God, I'm sorry. People ask me sometimes, I've had my wife who came from a Catholic background, and she said, you know, one of the things that we went every week, we went to confession. She said, I went to confession. She said, I honestly, I didn't know the Lord in those days. And I went to confession every day. I went to God's house because I thought maybe he'd be home and I could meet him. And I went every day to confess. But I knew that I'd probably do it again, but it's okay because I can come back next week and confess it again. I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about really mourning over the sin, lamenting over the fact that I was not walking with God, that I chose to somehow get back over here and say, you know, for just a second, I don't think I'm poor in spirit. I think I'm a pretty good deal. And I've got it from here, God. I'll take over. I'll run my program. Oops. Now I've gone away from God and I need to come back on a daily basis and say, God, I am so sorry for taking over the control of my life. And I want to lament that because I don't want to go back to being proud. I don't need that anymore in my life. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says he's blameless before the law. That he's kept the Ten Commandments. But Romans 7 says... Well, I really kept one through nine. If you look in Exodus chapter 20, the last commandment, thou shalt not covet, Paul says, I didn't keep that real well. 
when I was in Fresno, there was a Catholic priest there by the name of Nelson Toledo. He and I became very good friends. I called him Holy Toledo. And uh, we, uh, <laughs> honest, I did. And, and we played racquetball about every other week. We had a good, we had a good, a good, good relationship. He had been in Fresno for about 20 years, and he said, I've never, there's one sin I've never heard confessed in my confession booth. I said, what, what is it? He said, I've never heard anybody confess. Well, I, I, I didn't do it, but I thought of it. Nobody ever confessed that. The coveting, nobody ever confessed that. But God says, you're what? You're guilty. Paul says, I could do everything but that one. So by the time he gets to verse 24 and 25, he says, I want to do it, but I keep not doing it. And the things I don't do, that's what I want to do. Who will set me free from this body of death? Sin does not just lay at the surface of our life, folks. It penetrates. The mourning is what cleanses it. The mourning and the deep lamenting of it. Not just that I got caught. Not that I just offended somebody. But the godly sorrow that I have injured the heart of God. That's what keeps it from penetrating anymore. You want to get over that same confessed sin that you keep doing all the time? Bring it before God and let mourn over it. Lament over it. Know that it's not just against maybe your wife or your kids or you or some partner at work. It's against God Almighty. You cannot become righteous through the law. That's what Colossians 2.22 says. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of the men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no value, no value against fleshly indulgence. They don't work. I know that some of you were raised on what I call hard book religion. Strong devotion to God. Let me tell you something. No matter how hard you try, you'll never conquer sin. Those were the, those were the Pharisees. Ones who were separated. Paul says, when you just do that and you say, well, I've got a few more don'ts in my life than you do. <laughs> you do some things that I don't. And what does that do? It makes me proud. That's why the guy, when he's praying, he says, Lord, thank God I'm not a, I'm just not an average guy. You just see Jesus looking at the guy. Say what? Who are you comparing yourself to? Yeah, but did you ever think about doing the sin? Sorry, guilty. Thanks for playing. Sin can penetrate. Number two, there's a perverting power of sin. If we don't lament, if we don't mourn, it can convert, can pervert some things in our life. Sin can pervert. That's why he says, if your right eye offended, pluck it out. If your if you're right hand, <laughs> pluck it out. Well, what's he saying? Well, metaphorically, if that, were, if that were literally, there'd be a lot of people with no right eyes and no right hands. So what's he saying here? Well, the right eye was always something that was a, 
that was acquainted with the thing most precious in your life. The right hand was something that was always equated with that was what most useful in your life. And what he's saying is this, and this is powerful. He says this, that even the good gifts that God gives you, the precious stuff, the real useful stuff, can even become sin because if we don't lament, it can be perverted. Sex is a wonderful thing. I vote for it. But has it become perverted in America? Mm -hmm. You know, drugs are a pretty good thing. But they become perverted. God has given us wonderful gifts. And because we don't mourn over it, when we misuse them, then sin continues to not only penetrate, but it continues to pervert and takes it to levels that we don't know of. There is evil in America. Unfortunately, it began as a good gift that got perverted. And Jesus says, if you do not mourn the sin in your life, it can take life itself and pervert even the good gifts that God has given to you. We cannot hoodwink sin. We cannot downplay it in our life. I do not plan this week on building a confession booth out there. Not going to happen in this church. But I do want to encourage you to come before the Lord in your own way and say, God, let's go back to square one. This is me, Gene, over here in the, in the corner, over here by the ficus or whatever we call this thing. And I'm, uh, i got to once again remind myself I'm poor in spirit. God, I'm so sorry that I've broken your heart by taking over the program of my life again. And every time I do that, the junk in my life continues to penetrate and continues to pervert in my life. And once again, I humbly bow before you and ask you to forgive me. Take control of the throne of my life again. And let's keep moving. The last point this morning, as we close, is the perishing power of sin. Not only can it penetrate, not only pervert, but it can actually cause you to perish. If you never deal with it all your life, if you stay over here in this proud attitude and never bow your knee before God and say, you know what, God, I really don't need you. You go your way, I'll go my way. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Deal. Even like the manger scene at Christmas, God never comes into an area that he's never invited into. And he says, fine, you're on your own. And we never mourn. You know what that sin can do? It can cause us to perish. It can lead us to a point where we spend eternity in the Christless presence. In a Christless presence. Christ is not in that. We call that hell. I don't know when's the last time you were in church and you heard the word hell. But you're hearing it today. Hell is simply living in the absence of God for the rest of forever. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Parts of the Bible can paint it as a, a fire. And then other parts of the Bible explain it as, as a darkness. Well, if it's dark, then fire would have brought some light. And you know, Is it fire or is it dark? Well, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is it's a place you don't want to be. 
it's going to be pretty bad. Because it has the absence of God. Sin can actually cause you to perish. But it can also cause you to perish in a number of other ways. It can bring death to a marriage. It can bring death to a relationship with your kids. It can bring death to a a relationship at work. It can cause a death to a vision in your life for for a, a vision that God has given you because sin can so penetrate and pervert that one day that dream that was so good and God had given you now is perished. And selfishness and pride have replaced that. God says you need to mourn in order to enjoy the gifts God has given you. Has God not given us great gifts? Now here's, here's the beautiful part about this. Because I know this is a tough message. But you're tough guys. I already know that. We can handle this. Some people can't handle the truth. You can handle the truth. <laughs> I like that. We should name that series, You Can Handle the Truth. Okay, we'll, we'll try that. We can handle the truth. Because you see, when we're willing to come to a point and understand that we're poor in spirit, and we really begin to lament, then we really begin to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. And we see them in the proper perspective. And there's joy that fills our life. There's a hope that we never had. Amen? Amen. The promise says what? And you shall be what? Comforted. <laughs> Let me see if I got this right. I'm over here. I'm a lost guy. And I bow my knee before God. And I come to a point where I realize that, oh, I've got nothing to offer God. He's got everything to offer me. And I bow my knee and I receive His grace and I get the kingdom of God. Sounds good to me. And then I realize that I've been breaking God's hearts all these years. Not only but that the sin that I did back here when I first repented, that I knew that I thought I could get on my own program and it would be okay. But every time I want to take over my life and do it myself... I really need to lament over that. And as I lament over that, as I really understand that it's not just a forgiveness I'm asking from somebody, but it's really understanding that I do not want to break the heart of God, I get comforted? That sounds pretty good. What a deal. And here all along, I've been striving to do it myself, hoodwinking sin, I'm confused. I'm on edge. I'm anything but comforted. And God says, no. Come to me. Understand that I have everything to offer you, including the kingdom. And when it breaks your heart that you've been on your own program, and it breaks your heart every time you go away from me, then I will protect you against the penetrating power of sin. I will protect you against the perishing power of sin. I will protect you against the perverting power of sin. And I will comfort you. The word comfort is an interesting word in the Greek. It means paraclete. It's the same word that's used in 1 John chapter 2 when it says that Jesus stands beside you. You know, when I've confessed some of my sin in time past, people moved away from me. 
Ooh, you did that? <laughs> I don't want to be around the throne when you come up. Ooh. But when we confess our sin and we mourn, guess who we feel moves in right next to us? I love that picture that's in my head where Jesus has his arm around me and he puts his other arm around me, he's holding me, and he said, Oh, Gene, I'm right here, buddy. Thanks for making it clean. Thank you for understanding that sin does not lay at the surface of your life. It can penetrate, it can pervert, it can perish. You. But I will stand with you. And I will never leave you or ever forsake you. He's here this morning. And as we sang this morning, you can stand on it. It's one of his promises. You can stand on it. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for today. Thank you that you desire to change our character in every way. Thank you, desire to bring about in our life a hope and a standard that will never, never perish. And truly, as we sang this morning, complete in thee, O blessed thought. We are. There's nothing more. Lord, if anything today, help us to understand that it's not a, it's not a bad thing to come and make ourselves clean before you and confess whatever attitude or indifference that we have. Because that's where the real comfort lies. That's where the victory lies when sin can no longer pervert us and oh, penetrate into our life and even cause us to perish. May we see that as a good thing. And we look forward to already to next week when we, we, we want to know what it means to be under the control of God. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.